Hi everyone, this is Saloni and welcome to the first episode of Unheard with Saloni, a podcast where inspiration meets practical advice from the most brilliant and successful women in Nepal and outside. There are many times I wonder, how do you think other successful women are doing things? I have so many questions. Or these moments at work, in life, where I needed advice, and I thought other women might be feeling the same. And that's what I'm bringing to you with this podcast. Each week, I get these answers by talking to the smartest women I know and share it with you. My first guest on the podcast today is Mansi Agarwal. You can find Mansi on YouTube at Mansi Agarwal. That is M A N N S I A G A R W A L. Mansi is an international corporate trainer and transformational speaker. She has over 11 years of experience in training students and professionals. Her clients include top corporate houses, national banks, colleges, government and armed force officers, national beauty pageant winners going for international pageants, and various other national and international organizations. She founded Cherry Orchard Baby Photography and later Kitchen Tales Food Photography. Her pictures have been used for the Rana Cookbook published in 2020. She has made motivational speeches in many platforms and is also a TEDx speaker. A visual storyteller for Nepal Tourism Board, she regularly creates digital content for the foremost tourism organization of Nepal. Her video, Seven Reasons to Never Ever Travel to Nepal, has more than 3 million views on Facebook and more than 5 million across platforms. She also runs a show on News24 called If I Had Never Failed, where she interviews some of the most successful people in Nepal. Nothing makes her feel as alive as being on stage in front of a mic, sharing her words with the world. Welcome to the show, Mansi. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks a lot for having me here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Same here. Uh, So just wanted to start with Mansi. What does your typical day look like? Do you have a daily morning ritual or an evening? I wish I could give you a very interesting answer for this. And I'm going to say this in two ways. I wish I was a lot more organized than what I am right now. But right now I'm working on a crazy schedule and I'm doing 30 things in 30 different places. Most days I'm running around like a headless chicken. But having said that, last year, for most of the year, I was very disciplined. And I had a great morning ritual which really worked for me. And I truly feel that it helped to sort of elevate whatever I was doing to the next level and I'm looking forward to getting back to that. At that point what I was doing which really genuinely truly helped my level of efficiency and productivity overall was that I was working waking up at 4.30 in the morning. Wow. Five I was at my desk writing. Uh, I would be writing a gratitude list every day and I would also be writing speeches and scripts and things I wanted to talk about, things I wanted to share. I was always doing a chunk of my work, my homework, the stuff I needed to do for myself, work on myself by seven before everyone woke up in the morning. So for me, those two additional hours in the day really contributed exponentially and completely disproportionate to the kind of time I was putting in because that's when there's no phones buzzing, there's no, okay, let's go and see what's cooking in the kitchen and things like that. So I think that was the one morning ritual that really helped me. I'm not doing it anymore, 
because of the winter, because of the extensive travel I've had over the last month, but I'm desperate to get back to it. And I do set an alarm for 4.30 most mornings, but I've been shutting it off very consistently. This is the first episode of Unheard with Saloni. And one of the main reasons why I started this podcast was to just understand how other successful women are doing things. Uh, things that I could probably replicate in my own life or, you know, help me make better informed decisions. So I just wanted to know that you are someone who seems to juggle your professional achievements, personal goals, as well as self-care. How do you balance it? Okay, firstly, I love that you use the word successful women. I completely don't feel like a successful woman 99.99% of the time. I'm extremely ambitious about being successful one day. What success means to me has changed completely over the last few years and I want to be successful someday. But right now, yes, I think it's a very, it's a very full time in my life, like a very rich time in my life. Too many things are happening, sometimes at crazy speeds. And I feel that a lot of days of my life are like blurs. I don't remember what happened in the morning. I don't know where I was. I just know I was doing five, seven different things in a day. So I am going through a lot right now, good stuff, um, things I'm really happy about, things I'm really grateful about. And how I handle all of this is A, I'm very sure that life is not about time management, it's about focus management. You know, mm -hmm. I do not think about, okay, I'm going to segregate my day like this, and I'm giving that many hours to that and this many hours to this. I know that rather than managing time, I'm going to manage my focus, which means, is this important to me? Is this something I need to do? Is this something I want to do? Is this something that somebody else can handle for me? Is this something I can delegate? And it's only when I've sort of asked myself these questions about a lot of, you know, ifs and buts, should I do this, should I not do that? It's only when I have a clear answer to these questions that I take up something new. By something new, it could mean going for a party. It could mean going to school to attend my son's PTA. It could mean something like an assignment at work that I have. So I always ask myself, how important is this for me? I manage my priorities that way. Having said that, we belong to the same social circle and yet we don't bump into each other all that much because you know how much of a recluse I can be and willingly, voluntarily, I'm extremely happy to say no to a lot of social obligations if that means focusing on what's important for me. So one thing would be A, understanding my priorities, understanding what's important to me, B, I am a meticulous planner. I've realized this over the years. I'm very organized about things. Everything's going to be in writing. Everything's going to be on pen and paper. And just having these lists and having these planned kind of conversations really helps me figure out what a day looks like. So I'm very good with planning and organizing things. And this is something that I've developed over the years. And I think this is one habit that truly helps me. Number three, I'm very sure about the fact that I never take up, I'm not going to say more than I can handle, I do take up more than what I can handle, but I don't take up things that I don't love. And when I love something and I'm truly passionate about something, I'm willing to go over and above and do something extra. And that's when it feels less like stress and that's when I enjoy it more and therefore I can put in a lot more hours. So I think I work a lot more hours than the average person and still enjoy that. Now, how do I manage my personal goals, my self-care, as well as professional life? Professional life, honestly, I love it so much. There's no real uh, sacrifice that I'm doing to manage it. I just love everything of it. Personal goals, I don't have 
too many personal goals, but every time I do take up a personal goal, I make it a point that that becomes my focus. I will never mm -hmm. have three personal goals at once. Like okay. right now, my personal goal is that I put on a lot of weight during the pandemic and now I want to lose it. So that's the one goal I'm working on. Next year, I know what I want to do. I'm going to work on that goal then. So personal goals, I never take up more than one at a time because then that gives me something to fill up my vacuum. And, you know, that gives me that some little thing to do when I'm not doing anything else professionally. Uh, how do I manage my, my family, my self-care? I realized very recently self-care for me does not mean going for a massage. It does not mean getting a spa day or something like that. For me, self-care is not about getting my hair done. It's not about anything of that, of that sort. It's very mental. It's very internal. If I feel good mentally and emotionally, I'm fine. I don't need a spa day. I don't need a great, you know, like a good shampoo in the spa or something like that. I'm not one of those. So for me, when I look at prioritizing self-care, it's more about mental health and emotional health. And that comes to me through work and that comes through me through my personal goals. But do you think there are times when there is burnout? And, you know, because you said there is nothing external, it's mostly internal, but you're also getting that internal happiness through work again, right? So the focus is on work, uh, right? What do you do then? Um, I don't know if burnout is the right way of putting it, but let's say this. You know, some people are marathon runners and some people are sprinters, right? I truly believe that work has to be a marathon. It's something that you do forever and ever. It's not a sprint. It's never going to be like three minutes and done or 10 seconds and done. For me, I, as of now, the pace of my life is that I'm trying to run a marathon like a sprint because there's so much that's happening, but it's never mm -hmm. getting over. It is consistent. It is every day of, of that pressure. Another thing is because of the quality and the nature of work that I do, there are a lot of eyeballs. There's a lot of responsibility. You know, you can't go on stage and mess up. You can't be training in front of 130 people and completely unprepared. So I feel that the burnout is more mental. The burnout is what's happening inside my head. In order to take care of that, I think my morning ritual, I think that little bit of meditation, I think that writing in my gratitude journal and all, these things really help. What also helps is that, you know, sometimes it's just a strange thing that I've started doing. Let's say I have a workshop in two days and I'm really stressed about it and I think that there's a lot I need to do, a lot I need to prepare. I look at the topic, I look at the words and I forget about it. But in my head, my brain is sort of subconsciously doing a lot of that work when I'm in the shower, when I'm on a phone call, and I keep on getting ideas, and I keep on registering all of this. So for me, it's a constant, it's a machine that's working constantly 24-7, yes, but I don't feel burned out because every single time, and I kid you not, every single time I'm in front of a mic, in front of a camera, I'm like, thank you, God. I don't even know what I deserve, what I did to deserve this life. Like today in the morning, I was shooting in a studio. And I sent pictures to everybody. I'm like, oh my God, you know what? I was actually shooting and I was dubbing and I did a voiceover and I'm so excited about it. And trust me, this is not the first time I've done it. This is the fourth or the fifth time I was doing a voiceover. Mm -hmm. Yet it excites me every single time. And I don't feel burnt out. I don't feel it. Yes, there could be days when I'm physically tired. I'll go and take a nap. Or I'm just going to be like, okay, tonight I'm going to watch like three movies and tomorrow I'm going to be fine because I just need to shut my brain down. That machine is working too much. Maybe it's overworking, but I never feel burnt out because I love what I do so much. And I'm always grateful. Oh my God, just the fact that somebody's invited me for their podcast is like, yay, I get to speak. I got to listen. I get to share. I get to do all of this. And I'm yeah. always so grateful. I'm on stage. Trust me. I've given, I've probably conducted like, let's say, 
600 days or 800 days of training in my life yet every day i do it i'm like thank god i get to do this i get to live this life and i don't feel burnt out really no it's more of resting the machine sometimes that's happening but it's not a burnout never touch wood yeah that's amazing to you i'm going to come back to the preparation bit because you know i had something i wanted to ask you but you know you mentioned you've redefined success for yourself what is success for you today let's go back to what success was for me 10 years ago 10 years ago success for me was let me get through today let me just live today i was severely depressed i was in the hospital for for 5 6 days but i had depression i i would not say severely actually that's probably wrong i was i had mild depression i was in a very bad state like a fish out of water had left my family had left my home had left my country came into a country where i didn't speak the language outside mm-hmm. the house i didn't even speak marwadi which they spoke at home so for me at that point i was completely alone had no friends could barely speak to my parents in india uh, to make a call to india took 70 bucks a minute at that point and it was prohibitively wow. expensive yeah. this is pre whatsapp and yeah, pre yeah, all I'm of sure. that right so uh, at that point for me success was okay let me get through this week let me just see how i can mm-hmm. handle my life right now i was going through a lot even um, emotionally even personally i was going through a lot so after all of this was done then my my success at that point was okay let's see if i can get a job let's see if i can work let's see if i can earn 5000 rupees a month mm-hmm. let's see if i can earn 50000 rupees a month so what happened was I kept on sort of setting these tiny little milestones for myself and every time I set a tiny milestone and I reach that then of course of course it's also about being insatiable it's also about never mm-hmm. being satisfied yeah. but it was always about looking towards the next milestone then and for me slowly I realized that through this 10 15 year process maybe the meaning of success has changed completely people look at me they're like oh you're successful I'm like really I'm just starting man I'm struggling every day I'm on I'm on Facebook or every day I'm on YouTube and I'm like how to edit a video how to write a good something how to you know I'm doing these things all the time I am so curious I'm desperate and struggling to learn every single day of my life a few days ago I was like how to how to make better posts on Instagram how right. to share a story I keep on asking my how own team how to get more views how to get more views how to make an insta story how to how to make a video uh why why does some stuff work on tiktok yeah. you know so i'm continuously doing this yeah. and i'm learning and in my head i wish i could one day be like okay i'm damn successful and i don't feel like that at all for me what success looks like today is an image i have of myself it's just a vision that i have but i'm speaking on stage and there's 2000 people in the audience and they're clapping and that's what success means to me but until i reach that there's going to be this this i'm not going to call it a void or a vacuum but there's going to be this urge in me okay manse keep moving because it's not happened yet but i know the day that happens knowing me i'm probably sure. going to celebrate one night and then i'm looking forward to 10000 people the next, in the audience yeah. right and i'm sure it's going to happen soon i yeah. don't know i Fingers hope it crossed, does but i definitely crossed. think it will happen soon i hope it does cuz it's just one of those things that i feel is going to in a strange way fulfill me i'm fulfilled i'm happy i'm genuinely happy with my life but it is one of those things that i wish happens in my life because it's going to mean a lot to me so yeah yeah now i was just thinking when you were saying you know how to put a story and how to edit a post and i've been thinking tiktok has these reels and you know you are there as a person and there are people posting their text and there's text left and right and i was just wondering how do people do that like uh that is a skill that i've realized 
I'm either too old or too stupid to learn. So I have finally managed to delegate that. And I got the a, best thing invented. The, be, the best thing. Because what do you do? These are skills that these 16-year-old kids are adept at. They know how to do this in their sleep. So my team, on my team, I have always got one or two people who are like crazy on TikTok and Insta stories and ma'am story banaunu parsa, you have to do this, this, this. So I've completely let it be. And I'm like, okay, guys, y'all are going to do this. If it's not working, tell me and we'll figure out how to make this work. But the technicalities of how to write text and how to do all of that crazy stuff, change music, put filters and all of that, y'all are going to handle because I can't wrap my head around it at all. I've given up. Yeah, yeah. We're just getting old as well. I mean, young at heart, but <laughs> I feel some old. things are becoming... Absolutely. I feel so old and jaded compared to so many of these kids. Yeah. My son was like, mom, your videos are nice, but there's not enough animation. Uh-huh. And I'm like, what do you expect me to do? He's eight year old. He's seven and a half. Seven and a half. And he's like, there's not enough animation. I said, what do you mean? He's like, mom, your, your thumbnail is like a dapper text, but it should be animated. It should come like this. And then there should be music and there should be a jingle. And I'm like... Yes, I will learn someday. Or someday you can do it for yeah. me. Hopefully, hopefully yeah. he's going to be able to do that soon because yeah. I clearly don't have the bandwidth to pick that up as fast as yeah. these kids can. Yeah. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Also, you mentioned, you know, how you plan everything to the T, right? Is Are you a, you know, old school diary pen person or do you use any apps and things that really help you get there? I wish I could tell you I'm an old school diary pen person. But that would be a lie. I'm not even a diary pen person. I'm a khata pen person. You know what a khata is? A uh-huh. khata is this even older school register, hardbound registers. Yeah, yeah. It's like what they use in offices occasionally. Exactly. For. It's what the old Munimjis used to use in offices. In my, yeah. my dad's office in Calcutta, I've seen these khatas. And they're like these thick cardboard bound kind of big foolscap papers with lines, khatas. And one khata would have 200 pages. And I have four of these khatas that sort of help me manage my entire life. So I don't even have a proper diary. I have khatas. Apps are completely out of question for me. But we have this one khata, the one red khata, which literally runs my entire office. Everyone comes to the office in the morning, looks at the khata, knows what they have to do for the whole day. And that's how we plan the whole thing. So I'm very, very old school. I'm not even diary and pen. I'm khata and pen. Everything that you do seems to be pitch perfect. Like, I think you are a perfectionist, right? But I want to talk about what kind of prep goes behind. Like, we see the front and everything is, yeah, it's amazing. But I feel like there is so much that's happening in the back end that people are not seeing. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is crazy because I'm going through this exact scenario right now. You know, I'm a very intense person in terms of hard work. Like, I always tell everybody... I'm definitely the stupidest person in most of the rooms I walk into. And you can outsmart me, you can't outwork me. It's as simple as that. What I realize is I'm one of the most hardworking people everywhere I go. And the kind of thought and preparation I put into most things is unbelievable. 99% of the times people don't see it. You know, people don't understand. Because for us, let's say, for you and me to sit here and watch a Sanjay Leela Bansali film and we see a frame that takes, it's a two-second clip, right? Let's say there's somebody who jumps into a pool of water or something like that. We take two seconds to see that. But for Sanjay Leela Bansali to have conceptualized it, visualized it, to sit with his wardrobe and his set guys and with his light guys, with his director of photography and all these guys, to sit and actually come up with that entire thing probably took three weeks. Mm -hmm. And we don't understand the work that goes into it. Similarly, 
when I'm doing, let's say, a video that I'm making on Nepal or a video that I'm making for myself, my own content on professional success, or whether I'm doing a training. In a training, if I'm speaking for six hours, trust you, me, more than 60 hours of thought and effort and research and content have gone into that. And it's been years and years of work. So the kind of preparation that I put into things is not funny. In fact, I'm infamous for, you know, if I have a very important meeting, I'm going to go through the entire email chain of all the conversations that I've had with this person before this super important meeting leading up to it. So that when I go in, I go in with enough points, enough conversation, enough history, enough material to know exactly what I'm going to talk about. So I do that kind of preparation. I over-prepare sometimes, I feel. But honestly, in my head, because of who I am, I'd rather over-prepare than under-prepare. If I'm under-prepared, I feel like a fish out of water. Like right now, I was working on this. I'm working on this show called Imagine Nepal. I'm a contestant. And my team, the smallest team, uh, the most inexperienced team, I'm not a content creator, I'm not a cinematographer, I'm not an editor. Yet I was traveling around Nepal for 30 days with a crew and we have to create videos. Now what you see as a two second clip on that video has taken probably five or six hours of thought and work behind it. And the kind of preparation that goes into anything that touches your heart, connects with you, looks good to you, sounds good to you is unbelievable. I over-prepare. I always have a plan B. I always know what I'm going to wear. I, ex I know exactly where I'm going to stand. I do a lot of research online. If I'm going to talk about, let's say, the Hakupatasi, which is the dress of the Nevar community, even before I'm going to wear it, I'm going to check out what are the different options, which is going to look good on my waist, what is the kind of jewelry that's available, and all this you're going to see in a span of 16 seconds. And you will completely forget that you saw it, just that it felt good, or it looked good. How that happened was because of the four hours of research that went into it before that. So yeah, I over-prepare everything. I prepare before meetings, I prepare before every single speech I have to give, I prepare before every workshop, and for content and videos, oh my god, I can be quite, quite difficult with the kind of work and thought that I do in the background. And I'm glad you recognize it, Salonia, because a lot of people don't. A lot of people are like, Mansi's a very good speaker, there's no doubt about it, right? And then maybe it comes easy, but I guess even after being a good speaker, there's so much of work that is being put into it, right? Hours and hours to actually make it all seem perfect. It's a lot of, I think, dedication, yes. Uh, hard work. Also. Hard work, yes. But it doesn't feel like a bad thing to me. Okay. Like in my head, trust me if you tell me, tomorrow morning you have a workshop in Pokhara, you're going to have to take the flight at 6.30 and you're going to start training at 9. I will wake up at 3.30 do my preparation in case I haven't done it yet. I mean, I would generally prepare in advance, but if it's a last moment thing, wake up at 3.30, do my preparation, get my hair done, make sure I'm looking fine, get to the airport before time, reach there, get to the venue before time and do that training and come back. I love it so much. You know, I'm willing to, I'm so passionate about my work. And here's the interesting thing, and this is like a little bit of titbit. You know, we think of passion is something that gives you joy, right? Passion is something that makes you happy, you're joyful, you're joyous about it. But actually, I did a bit of research and I realized that passion, the English word passion, has its roots in the Latin word patior, which means to suffer. And okay. so when we say we're passionate about something, actually, it's just something for which we are willing to suffer. So if I'm passionate about speaking, I'm willing to suffer for it. If I'm passionate about cricket, I'm willing to suffer for it. I'm so passionate about being in front of people and speaking and sharing my ideas, thoughts, words, whatever it is, that you know what? 
I will not eat if I don't get a chance to. I will not sleep if I don't get a chance to. I will wear uncomfortable heels if I want to. I will do whatever. But if you tell me on the other hand, Mansi, let's go for a party, I'm going to be like, no, beyond my bedtime, you know, this is not going to work. So I think that passion, that I'm so much in love with what I do and I'm so grateful for what I'm doing that I'm willing to prepare and not sleep and put in all that work because it shows. I think over the years, the preparation and the work that you put in really shows because yeah. there are a lot of people who are doing wonderful things here. And it's very easy for, you know, in today's world, we're living in the world of, you know, TikTok and two-minute noodles and everything happening like that. But, and so many people go viral and it happens all the time and people are doing a great job as well. Yet I sometimes see that people cannot sustain that. Yeah. It's very difficult because you haven't come from that background and that platform and that base. For me, I don't think I did anything great in terms of content creation. Yet, after my videos went viral, suddenly a lot of people started knowing who I was. And I managed to, and this is not boastful, it's just numbers, I managed to create the, and I managed to sort of keep that pace going because there was already a platform that I had built over 10 years of work and I could sort of sustain that up until now at least. So I think it is that preparation that really adds up every day. Like even in the beginning, if people don't realize, later everyone actually appreciates a person who's like, you know, done all the work. I and hope, I yeah. hope. You know, when people start really appreciating stuff, now here's the funny thing I noticed. You know, it's very easy. Let's say, 10 years ago, I knew nothing about filmmaking. I knew nothing about videos. I would happily watch a film and be like, oh, horrible, right? It takes no, no time for somebody who comes from a place of no information to critique something else that's happening. It's very easy yeah. for me to say, oh, Saloni, eh? yeah. what the hell? Make a comment or anything. It's very easy yeah. to pass a comment, right? Yeah. The moment you jump into the water yourself and you're in the field and you realize, oh my God, to get that one turn correct, I had to spin six times and my cinematographers were not satisfied till the light was not falling perfectly on my face or my hair or whatever it is. Then you watch something and you're like, oh my God, look at the kind of work that takes. Same for companies, same for organizations, same for a startup, same for whatever it is. Until you actually get into the field, it's very difficult to understand what goes behind it and what the blood and sweat and tears are about. So today when I look at anything that's available on our screens, when I watch somebody speak, I understand what goes into it. But if I was, let's say, or let's say a housewife, let's say a cousin of mine who's a housewife, who has no idea about this, she's like, huh? Mansi's always been a good speaker, but you don't understand yeah. the difference between being a good speaker and somebody who's getting paid for it yeah. and somebody who's getting people to watch. Yeah. So it's a completely different world. And today, the kind of respect I have for anybody who's, who's achieving, especially in Nepal, given a lot of constraints that we have here infrastructurally, I think it's wonderful. It's magical. I respect so many people so much more because I know what goes into this. You know, you're a corporate trainer, you're a motivational speaker, you're an entrepreneur, food photographer, child photographer. I mean, where do you get the inspiration to pursue all these careers? Oh my God, the inspiration always comes from a deep, dark space. I realized, you know, I have been a trainer for the longest time and I was training for, I was training really, I think at that point, I'm talking about the year 2015, I was a trainer. But I was not very joyous about what I was doing. I was satisfied, yes, but not very joyous. I was not getting the right clients. I was not getting the right kind of com companies, organizations. And I was doing it, but I was not very happy. In, in this deep, dark space, I said, OK, I don't want to be a trainer anymore. Now I'm going to change. What do I want to be? 
I go on Facebook, I see some people doing fabulous child photography abroad internationally and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a child photographer. Mind you, at this time I have a camera but I haven't switched it on in the last five years. I don't know how to switch it on either. And I learn, 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 learn. Slowly, suddenly people are like, okay, how much do you charge for this? And I'm like, yes, today I'm a child photographer. You know, so for me, every time I hit a roadblock, and trust me, I've hit more roadblocks than most people because I've just traveled through mm -hmm. that many more roads, yeah, I feel, yeah. right? So then you, the, the more you travel, the more roadblocks you're going to see and the more bumps you're going to have along the way. Every time there's a bump, I ask myself, okay, what can I do to make this better? Or is there something else I can do? And the fact that I did child photography, which I'm not doing currently anymore, but I was the first in the country to do it, right? The fact that I did child, child photography professionally or food photography came out of that space where I felt, you know, I'm no good as a trainer. Nobody, like the best companies are not hiring me. I'm not getting the right kind of assignments. I'm not happy with what I'm doing. I don't want to do it anymore. And I left it. And then I started doing photography. And boom, suddenly everyone wants me to train them as well. And I'm like, what just happened here? And why am I working double time? But I enjoyed all of that as well. I'm not going to lie. So yes, today when I think of myself... Where do I get the energy from? It comes out of a dark space, generally, to start, the inspiration to start. Okay, I'm no good at this, let me do that. Uh, so it has been a lot about experimentation. But now that I sort of realize that I can be a decent trainer and I love what I do and I love being on stage, I love being in front of the cameras, I love speaking, I love creating videos, I think I'm going to be sticking to this for the next few years. Okay. Hopefully. But let's see, someday somebody invites me to go on Mars and make a new settlement there. And if I think that's good enough that time, I might just, I don't know. You just spoke about, you know, where you get the inspiration from and energy from. But also, there was this one particular video that you made where you were talking about, you know, confidence. And you might be confident in one particular thing because you've put all the work in there and not in something else. But, you know, just the confidence to take on all these new initiatives. Where does that come from? I know for a fact... Okay, so let's, let's look at it like this, right? Confidence, I say this all the time to all my students, to everybody I speak to, confidence is not an umbrella concept. Just because Mansi Agarwal looks confident when she's holding a mic and speaking in front of 500 people does not mean that Mansi Agarwal will look confident if you make her sit in a car and tell her to drive it. I don't know how to drive a car. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't, I don't. I bought myself a car last year. And I'm Congratulations. Still, thank you. Yeah. I'm still relying on my driver, Dai. And I'm like, Dai, two days ago was Saturday. And uh, uh, I had to go somewhere. I had to go. I had to walk four kilometers because my driver, Dai, wouldn't show up. And I don't know how to drive it. And there were two cars standing in my house. Just because I don't know how to drive, I was sitting at home. And I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? Shall I do a patao? Shall I like take a cab or something? I was like, no, nah, chuck it, 10,000 steps today, man, let's just go. And I walked 9,886 steps and I got my stuff done and I don't know how to drive. So for me, when I look at confidence, it comes from knowledge, it comes from practical application of that knowledge, and it comes from feedback that you result as an application of whatever that knowledge is. So confidence is these three steps. Now, I'm not confident in 80% of the areas of my life, maybe. I'm not confident as a mom. I sometimes don't know what I'm doing when I'm bringing up my son. I'm not the best parent around for sure. I'm not confident in terms of how to deal with government employees, how to, you know, in, in a government mm -hmm. scenario, I'm always like, oh my God, what happened? And how did I mess up and things like that? Not confident when it comes to adventure, not confident when it comes to driving a car. Yet when you see me on stage, you see me in a boardroom, you see me in a meeting, you'll be like, oh my God, she's the most confident person. Absolutely not. 
how do i get the confidence to take on risks or how do i get the confidence to do that yes. to start something new i know one thing there are many kinds of risks in the world there's social risk financial risk physical risk that's harm to your body and all i realize i'm damn good at taking mental risks this is something i figured out about myself if there's something that can be learnt mentally if it's just going to be about taxing and using my brains i know i can do it so every time i embark on a new journey and my brain tells me aha uh-huh, this is a physical risk i'm not going to do it i don't feel confident i'm not going to start that i'm not going to be a bungee jumping instructor no matter what happens in my life but if you tell me tomorrow mansil you go and become a geography instructor or a geography trainer i know it's just a mental risk i'm taking there and i know that i'm confident in handling mental risks so i take up those tasks if you look carefully and if you try and connect the dots as a trainer it's a mental risk yeah. as a speaker it's a mental risk as a content creator i thought it was a mental risk that's why i got into it recently i've realized it can also be a physical yeah. risk and a financial risk and a social risk as well because you're putting yourself out there in front of all the people all yeah. the time yet i realized that i was decent at it and it was too late and i had jumped in before i actually realized all of these things uh-huh. and if you look at uh, myself as a photographer again it's a mental risk food photography mental risk i'm willing to take those you tell me to take a huge financial risk set up a big office i'm not going to be able to do it i don't have that confidence you tell me to have a startup i'm not going to be able to do that i don't have that confidence you tell me to jump off a plane to do paragliding i'm not going to do that i take very calculated risks in the one field where i feel i have more confidence that is my mental state so that's really how i do it i think that's so beautifully put like no one ever has you know t- at least to me described it as mental risks physical risks but when you think about it then you can connect the dots yourself right this is exactly. the kind of risks i am willing to take exactly yeah. i'm not willing to take physical risks yeah. i'm not willing to take social risks i'm not willing to take financial risks i'm not willing to take risks with my body my life and limb i don't have the confidence man yeah. you tell me bungee jumping i'm going to run off yeah. you tell me speak in front of 500 people on a topic i know nothing about I know I can train myself to speak on that topic within 3 hours and I'm going to do a better job than a lot of people maybe. Mm-hmm. I will take that risk. Mm-hmm. Not going to take up risks I know I cannot handle. Let's say you take these risks mm-hmm. and you take up something new. How do you go about building credibility? Uh two things. Number 1, a consistently putting out good work there. I think as a photographer, as a trainer, whatever it is, if you're consistently doing well and you're consistently putting out good work people start to notice b i think that today the world is 100% or today marketing for me is on social media so the moment i started sort of understanding this and i started putting relevant content on social media i built up credibility slowly so it was a lot about personal branding myself on social media uh having said that credibility does not come only with excellence it comes with ethics as well so why does a company work with me for 6 years or 8 years or why do some of the clients touch wood i'm extremely lucky to have these clients who've been with me since 2015 2016 i've been training their people for the last 6 years why do they keep on giving me that work is because they understand that not only will i do a decent job of whatever i'm doing ethically they will never face a dilemma i'm never going to jump over people i'm never going to jump over the agency that got the work to me i'm never going to show up late i'm never going to not do the work i'm never going to do that so that kind of ethics also builds up credibility it's not just excellence and efficiency and i think touchwood because of my background because of my school because of the fact that i was a disciplinarian and i was raised by disciplinarians i have that sense of ethic and that that you know the 
you know, what does ethic mean in the workplace? It's not so much about punctuality. It's also about understanding emotionally what you bring to the table. It's also about understanding who who wants what and how to give them that. So all of these things, I think, put together gives you a sense of credibility in the workplace. And I think maybe I'm starting to get there. Uh, what's the single biggest factor that you'd contribute to your success? Again, I'm not sure if I'm successful yet, Saloni. When you say that, at I'm this, always like... At this point of time, what is the single biggest factor that contributes to your success at this point of time? Hard work. Nothing else. I'm not... I do understand that I come from a lot of privilege. By privilege, I never talk about social privilege or financial privilege. I've never had those. We built that slowly. My husband and me built that slowly along the way. When I talk about I come from privilege, the biggest privilege I've had in my life is my education. My parents could have sent me to any school, but my mom fought and fought and fought and sent me to a convent school, one of the best girls' schools in India, La Martinia, Calcutta. I'm fortunate and extremely privileged that I got a chance to go to that school. And even when I was there, both my parents took a very active interest in our education. So that is the biggest privilege I come from, the biggest privilege. I come from, I know my privilege, I understand I'm very privileged that I went to the school I went to. I had the teachers, the peers, and the parents that I had that completely changed my life. So today, I understand that that has been my privilege, yet talent, privilege, nothing makes sense if you're not going to top it off with hard work. So for me, one word answer or two word answer, hard work. Yeah. I think talking to you, um, and I feel anyone listening to you, you know, if one thing they can take back is that you put in the hours. It will, you put in the hours. Yeah. Work smart, but put in the hours. It helps. Put in the long hours. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, because I was reading this book and I'm not even entirely sure about which book this was in. To become a world-class expert in anything, you have to put in 10,000 hours, right? Yeah. So this person, and oh my God, I don't know why I can't I remember. I read it, but I can't remember Yeah, as well. I can't remember which yeah. book this is, right? So, when, so he did this case study of the Beatles, for example, and how they were a very average band till they were in UK. They were in UK, they were playing, they were fine, they were doing the club scene and all of that. And suddenly, I think they went to Germany, where for a year, they were commissioned to play all night long in a bar. And what happened is when you play all night long, you're playing eight hours every night, you don't realize it, but you're consistently working and getting better every day. And the number of hours that they clocked in that one year, if you're, if you're let's say, playing eight hours, there's another four hours of work that goes in, right? So that's around four and a half to 5,000 hours that they put in in that one year. Yeah. Plus their other hours in the, all the other years put together. The day they reached 10,000 hours of work together as a band, they boomed. And this author of this book uh, actually mentions three or four other people who boomed at 10,000 hours. So I do feel that, yes, you can have luck, you can have talent, you can have privilege. But the day you touch that 10,000 hour mark, that's when the magic is. And I'm waiting to touch. And I was actually sitting and calculating very interestingly. How many hours have I been a speaker or trainer or content creator, you know, in this field where my voice and my words are actually sort of working for me? And my current calculation would say around 6,000 hours so far. So wow. I'm like, okay, another 4,000 hours to go until I hit some level of excellence or some level of expertise or some kind of international yeah. expertise maybe. But I'm trying to get there and I really want to put in those hours and get it done with. You know, when you're doing so many things at all these different point of times, are there any aspirations that have gotten lost in the way? 
No, aspirations are getting added along the way. What do you say? That's oh amazing to you. Yeah, no. Yeah. Oh my God, when I think about it like this, you know, uh, I have a friend from Calcutta, my school friend. A few months ago, she sends me a WhatsApp image of something I wrote in her slam book. You know what a slam book yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we were in school, you know, people you used write to write. You write at the end of the year, yeah. right? In a slam book. So in grade seven, in her slam book, I wrote, I want to be a photographer and a teacher. And then I forgot all about these two things and my life is dedicated to a study of economics and I'm a gold medalist in economics and I decided... Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that as well. Thank God. I'm because I know new things today. But I, I forgot everything I learned in those, in those years of being a gold medalist in economics. And you know, the thing is, I forgot everything about wanting to be a photographer or a trainer or a teacher. And then when she sent it to me today, I'm like, oh my God, life does come a full circle. Suddenly yeah. I am a photographer and I am a teacher and I see this happening and manifesting in my life. Having said that, now that I'm doing what I wanted to, my aspirations are only growing. I can't think of anything I've missed out on, anything at all. Six days ago, I was shooting an ad film, okay? And the director very sweetly comes up and um, he, he gave me a dialogue in Nepali and he said, ma'am, you have to sort of speak this in Nepali and English put together. I don't want only shoot the Nepali. I want Nepali and English both. And I said it and first take and he's like, cut. I was like, sir, let me just do it one more time. You'll have an option for edit. He's like, no, 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 it's done, it's done. And he did this for four dialogues. Like the entire ad film was four dialogues and every time he cut it in the first and he's like, it's done. And me being me, I'm like, sir, take one more take, you know. Suppose I messed up. Suppose there's a mistake. You have something to edit with. Like He's like, no, no, it's done. At the end of the day, very sweetly, he's like, so ma'am, when are you going to join the films? I said, do you really think that I'm going to dance around trees? Do you really think that's going to be my life? He's like, no, but if it's an interesting documentary, if it's an interesting film and you're speaking about intelligent content, would you like to do it? I said, yeah, man. And now I realize he's planted this little seed of aspiration in my head. And maybe I'll do it someday. I don't know. So things are getting added I on. I think Not you so can be an actress today without having to dance around trees. It's possible. So yes. I'm hoping it is. I'm hoping yeah. that kind of cinema exists. Yeah. And I'm hoping there are interesting enough stories to share. Mm -hmm. And uh, the more I be meet people from this field, the more I speak to people who are creating interesting content, the more I realize how much more there can be done and how much more there is. And... Uh, Maybe someday, who knows? But it's just an aspiration that's been added. Nothing's being subtracted at all. I'm sure, like everyone, there have been times when you've been really discouraged, right? Just gone through low periods. How do you bounce back or just keep going at it? I don't go through low periods. I've had an entire life of low periods with a few highlights is what I'd like to put it as. So I got married in 2006 again. I'm going to take this answer off on a bit of a tangent. Got married in 2006 up until 2015, I was clueless. I was working, yes. I was training, yes. Clueless about my life. Zero percent self-esteem. Zero percent confidence. I felt horrible about almost every aspect of my life because I was, at that point, I actually didn't feel horrible. But I should have felt horrible about every aspect in my life. Financially, socially, emotionally, mentally, physically, Everything was a mess. I was a shipwreck. I think these 10 years were truly sinking to new pits of nonsense every single day. And I think that how I managed to psych myself out of this was that I relied on work. I knew that if I'm going to work, if I'm going to consistently try to get 1% better every single day, 
someday I'm going to reach something that fulfills me. I didn't know what that something ever was. I didn't know what I was going towards because I was confused. I was in a very dark space at this point, these 10 years almost. And then slowly, I think life started to unravel itself. And just the fact that I was consistently doing something that I enjoyed gave me the confidence to come out of all of that. And that's why I think today, I'm a champion at pulling myself out of a dark space. I'm a champion at that. Why? I can recognize a dark space. I can recognize when it happens. I know it before it's coming. You know, something happens, I know it's going to trigger me. I know this is something that could potentially put me in a bad space. I know exactly what to do. I know who to call. I know what conversation I need to make. I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit and write. I know exactly how to work myself out of that. I know the questions I need to ask my brain to pull myself out of that dark space because I've been there in the past. And here's something, you know, very soon I'm going to make a video on this, but I'm just sharing with you yeah. a bit of the content I've got. So, you know, how do you work yourself out of a dark space, right? How do you do it? For me, what really works is, and this is an idea that I've been thinking about for a while, A, cold shower helps. Strategies, practical stuff. I'm not going to give any abstract concepts. It's, it's concept. very hard though. Of course, in Kathmandu, yes, yeah. a cold shower is a bad idea, but it's much easier if you are doing that as a follow-up to a walk. I go for a long, long walk. Remember I told you that yeah. I was walking on Saturday. So I, I walked 9,986 steps that day, and I realized it helped me gain so much clarity, so much clarity about so many things. I knew I was going to fall into a dark space. I knew I was going to feel like a failure. And before that could happen, I could notice the signs. I could, my body was giving me those symbols. And I went on a walk, came back much better, took a shower, wrote. What did I write? There are two things I write generally when I'm in a space like that. Number one, a gratitude list. Anything that makes me feel good, recognize all the things I've been blessed with. Recognize that today I'm living the life that I once dreamed of. Recognize that I'm living the life that I still dream of. I'm getting a chance to live this life. So that's what gratitude does for me. But also write a power list. What is a power list? Anything. It's a simple list where I'm just enumerating the things I'm proud of that I have achieved without anybody. When I write a gratitude list, the power is with external factors and external forces and other people. A power list is where the, 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 the power is with me. This is what gives me power. This is what I've achieved by myself without anybody else. And every time I look through these pieces of paper, every time I look through my old gratitude lists or my power lists, I always come back feeling stronger because I count the blessings and I realize I've got way more blessings than things to be upset about. And that really helps pull me out of a dark space, always. Yeah. One thing which I want to get back to, we did discuss about it initially, um, is when we talk about you know managing our personal, professional, social life as well, uh, with a lot of people who are wives, let's say, in the Nepali society or mothers, there's so much of guilt that comes and then the people around you give you so much of shit, let's say, to make you feel guilty even though at times you're feeling that no, this is the right thing, right? Any advice for women who are going through that as to how do you deal with it? Okay, mom guilt is a real thing. It is absolutely real. It's a true phenomena. It's not something you're imagining. It exists. It hurts. Let me give you a little story. I gave birth to my son via C-section, September 2014. Three days later, I was physically in unbelievable pain still. 
my stitches hadn't healed or so I thought. And I was going through something called postpartum depression, okay? Not very severe, but I had postpartum depression. At this point, my mom, who was my primary caretaker, like she was taking care of me because I was in India and she was handling me. She comes into my room and I tell her, mom, don't leave me alone with my son because I don't know what I'm going to do. I told her these words. And she proceeded to give me a half an hour lecture on how I'm a bad mother, okay? Now, I'm going through depression. I don't know what it's called at that point. My body is broken, cut, bruised. I've had God knows how many injections over the last few days. I'm woozy with all the medication because obviously I've been eating more antibios than, than food. And I know that I'm not having the right thoughts in my head, which is why I tell my mom to take care of my son because don't leave me alone. I can do anything to him right now. And yet I'm the one that gets lectured. I cried and cried and cried. Of course, in 40 days, approx, it, it wore off and I was much, much better. But that is really where the seed of, of mom guilt happened. You know, you're not good enough as a mom. You are not enough. You are not doing enough for your child. And I feel it consistently, but now I've been able to make my peace with it. And let me give you a very shitty, since we use the word already, let me give you a very shitty example to prove it. I once went for this lunch, okay? And um, all the girls there, so we were like many girls, seven, eight of us, and everyone's like, oh, you know, my toddler's two and a half, and I, you know, I give him uh, oats and banana mashed, uh, and I make it into a pancake, and I make a teddy bear-shaped pancake, and I give it to him for breakfast, and I'm like, and okay, and then somebody's like, yeah, and I do chia seeds something, and you know, why don't you crush some almonds in it and put chia seeds and make a little thing, and then make it into this pancake, and I'm listening to all of this, and I'm like, shit. My son has dal bhat, you know? At 11 in the morning, he has dal bhat. It's Nepali style, it's what works. Uh, so seven, eight, he has milk uh, or, or a banana. And then eight by 10, he has dal bhat. I'm a bad mom, you know, mom guilt, mom guilt. And then I'm like, okay, I need to give chia seeds and almonds and, and make oats, teddy bears on the and plates. And make teddy bears. And I'm like, I'm shit at this. This is not something I can do. I did it for a day and I gave up because I'm not teddy bear making mom, right? And this mom guilt happened. Cut to five years later, all these girls, you know, their kids are there. My kid is as strong, as tall, as healthy. But cut to everyone's trying for school applications. And everyone now wants their kid to get into a good school, into a big school, into whatever. And, um, you know, I also put in applications. I tried for only two schools. My son got into both. And these moms had tried for some of the schools, but their son, their kids did not get in. And they went to good schools, but not the best maybe, right? Not and their first choice. Not their first choice. I, my son went to his first choice, my first choice, yeah. right? And then I realized that there was no admission test in any one of these schools on the basis of the profile of the parents and what the parents do and the educational background of the parents, the kids got in. And my son got in, right? So maybe I was doing something right all this while. Yeah. Maybe not everyone needs to be a pancake, teddy bear-shaped pancake-making mom. Maybe a hustling mom is also a good mom. Yeah. Maybe a mom that takes care of her mental health, her financial status is also a good mom. Maybe a mom that teaches you that it's important to get up at four in the morning and to go for work and to come back and then take care of the family is also a good mom. You don't just need to be a pancake-making mom to be a good mom. Mm. So I think this really helped me to let those fears of, oh my God, am I doing enough for my child to let those fears go? Because I had that at the back of my head all the time. Yeah. My mom was a full-time housewife taking care of three kids meticulously. 
my son half the time i don't even know which uniform he needs to wear tomorrow but i figure it out and he wears the right thing and he goes and i think that it's okay maybe there are some things that he's learning from me that he would not learn from a housewife mom and we're all correct in our own ways yeah. so for me that mom guilt after my son got into my first choice of school and i realized that you know what maybe i was doing some things right along the way maybe the fact that my son yesterday says mom i'm very stealthy and i can do this stealthily the fact that my 7 and a half year old son uses a word that i've never used in my life Maybe That's I did something impressive. like I, yeah, I was impressed. Yeah. I called up my brother. I'm like, you know what? Surya actually said stealthy right now. I'm like, oh my god, how does he know the word? You know. So I was like, maybe I'm doing something right in my life, and maybe there's some things in which he's going to do well. He may not have the best pancakes in the world, and we're okay with that. Yeah. Anything exciting or new you're working on and want to talk about? Oh my god, I wish. Yeah, there is actually. So I don't know if you know about this, but very soon on Kantipur Television. there's going to be a show called imagine nepal and this show is about private sector people people like you and me coming together and promoting nepal as a destination for tourism and uh, the show has been conceptualized by bhushan dahal and surat singh takuri and uptrendly media and uh, the show is where seven content creators including some amazing people like kishor kaista the photographer sahana bajacharya myself uh, we go and we make our own teams and we travel to each one of the provinces so seven content creators everyone is allocated a province and you go and you make videos on that province so i just came back from a month of travel currently the videos are being edited very soon we are going to be shooting the episodes on stage where we'll put in our content and we'll be critiqued by people and then there's going to be voting so it's like a reality show but the content is very intellectual very intelligent because we do talk about nepal and we talk about all the wonderful things that we can do to promote this country so i think that's the most in- interesting thing happening right now of course i'm still training but imagine nepal has been a journey which has really taught me a lot and i think maybe this is this is an education that i received in 3 months which would have taken an entire mba sort of mm-hmm. to do so i'm really glad yeah looking forward to the show absolutely right. i'm looking forward to do, to it as well and i'm really looking forward to having this platform to share our stories yeah. really because uh, you know stories from nepal sometimes i feel there is a lot of content out there there are some amazing cinematographers amazing directors amazing photographers here yet our content is not packaged and branded internationally so we do not get the eyeballs we deserve and when i'm looking at this show as an opportunity to sell nepal i am doing it from the international point of view so hopefully we will be able to get in some people interested into the country and uh, yeah that's really what this is about Thank you so much Mansi for being on Unheard with Saloni you were my first guest and it's been an absolute pleasure uh before i wrap up who is someone else i should have on my podcast oh my god who's somebody else you should have on your podcast i think some of the most inspiring and interesting people that i've met in nepal have been in the last 2 3 years i genuinely feel that malvika suba would be very cool to have on your podcast not only because she is famous not only because she's a very close friend of mine now we we get along really well but because that woman has a sense of professional ethics that very few people can beat again she is not a race horse she's a work horse she has been doing this as a marathon for the last 20 years i think she's very interesting somebody else that i find super amazing is shanti chadha mm-hmm. she is 70 plus and i wish that one day i have the spirit that she has 
And I truly feel that these two people are amazing and it would be wonderful to hear them on the podcast yeah. because I've had a great time and I wish that I can hear what they have to share as well. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week. If you liked it, please don't forget to subscribe on the platform you like listening to your podcast on and also please share it with anyone who you think might enjoy it. If you want to tell me your story, have any questions you want answered, or let me know about a fellow Nepali woman doing amazing things, write to me at unheardwithsaloni at gmail.com. Would love to connect. I am Saloni and you have been listening to Unheard with Saloni.